everyone, and welcome back to This Person I Met. If you've been with us for a while, you probably have heard of the story of Mrs. Yam talking about how she and her family fled from the Cambodian genocide in 1979. That was the first time we touched on the topic of refugees. You can find the links to those two episodes in the description. These days, the refugee crisis is rising again. The conflict in Ukraine has highlighted the crisis of displaced people globally who are seeking safe haven. More than half a year ago, the Taliban took over Afghanistan. 76,000 Afghan refugees fled from their homes to seek shelter in the U.S. 300 of them settled in Washtenaw County. Ann Arbor's Jewish Family Center is helping to shelter these refugees and provide necessities for them. One of the volunteers willing to go the extra mile is Ms. Samra Koknar, a Forsyth Middle School Social Studies teacher. Today, we had the opportunity to interview Mrs. Koknar about her work in helping to support the various needs of the refugees. Every step they take in a new country is a challenge. The scenes that Mrs. Koknar described of the difficulties that the refugees had to face were heartbreaking and horrific. We were humbled to learn about how much time and effort she put into her volunteer work while still being a full-time teacher. Uh, my name is Samra Koknar, and I am a teacher at Forsyth Middle School, and I've been living in Ann Arbor for 26 years. So which resettlement like assistance program are you in for the Afghanistan? So originally, I started my involvement volunteering with Jewish Family Services. Mm -hmm. They are the agency that is locally been tasked uh, to help resettle the Afghan refugees that have started coming in to the U.S. with the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan in August. Uh, but I've pretty much now just doing my own thing with the Afghans separate from the agency. When did you start doing it, like, separately? It really happened randomly because with JFS, the actual involvement has to happen during the work week mm -hmm. and I'm a teacher so I can't volunteer. If you guys recall back in November I think it was the week before Thanksgiving we got these random Monday and Tuesday off and so my immediate reaction was great now I can volunteer. So I signed up to bring food shop and bring food to a family that's up in a hotel on the side of the highway in Belleville. So it was pretty elaborate shopping, the, the list of everything that they need, and you want to make sure it's decent quality and the meat is halal meat for Muslims. So I went to about four different stores, gathered up everything that uh, I thought this family would need, and it was a large family, and brought it up there met this family and was charmed by them and really what made me feel a connection with this family. You could tell meeting the father right away. He was a good man, um, just very genuine and kind and he had several daughters and as he walked me to the car he said, I want my daughters be strong women like you. And I just said, dude, you have me. So I left them the number, my number, and said, if there's anything I can do for you, please don't hesitate to, to call me. 
And then they did end up calling and then that just led to a relationship with this family. They are like my Afghan family now. So I've helped the daughter get a job. My husband is in the process of helping one of the sons get a job. But then from this family, now we're helping like 12 different families because the Afghan community is pretty small. So they talk, mm -hmm. then they want help. Mm -hmm. JFS is doing a, you know, a great job trying to satisfy all the needs of these refugees. But all of a sudden, there were 300 Afghans moving into Washtenaw County. Mm -hmm. This is not their, their normal number. My husband and I are trying to pick up the slack, mm -hmm. providing the needs that the resettlement agency is just not getting to yet. Um, who exactly funds the assistant program? Oh, that's a good question. I don't totally know the answer to that. It's the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. And then the U.S. government with Afghans, with the Afghans, they tasked nine different agencies countrywide to be in charge of helping these Afghans get settled. And I think, don't quote me on this, but I I think it was like 50,000 Afghans overall in the United States. How I envision it, and I don't know for a fact this is true, but I think the money goes to these like nine agencies, and then those agencies have sub-agencies that then it trickles down to the agencies on the ground, grassroots, helping them. And in Washtenaw County, that's Jewish Family Services. But then there are different agencies up in Dearborn or Detroit area or Grand Rapids. So I think in Michigan, there might be maybe seven, five or seven different agencies on the ground helping them get settled. The amount of work needed for settling refugees is overwhelming. Since November last year, Mrs. Kokonar and her husband have become passionately involved. My husband and I have been this amazing team. It's really been kind of fun because this is like a shared passion. I mean, he has his area of expertise. He has become a pro at contacting um, Internet Essentials at Xfinity and helping the Afghans submit the documentation that they need to get hooked up with Internet. He is really good at helping them open bank accounts, although I've done some of that too. Um, we both have taken people to get state IDs. My real area of expertise is finding out what they need then putting the word out. And I put the word out on Nextdoor. I put the word out on Facebook, Buy No Things Ann Arbor, which is a wonderful community. I put things out to my school families. People are generous. They're very, very kind. And so people step up and they graciously offer things. Most of the time I'm driving around and picking things up. I love when they offer to drop things off because I am exhausted. I feel like between being a teacher, which is an 80 hour a week job, and now with Afghans, which is like both are jobs that are never, ever finished. You can always do more. So I took Friday off from school and I spent the whole day working on Afghans. 
because they want their kids enrolled in school and they need a job and they need a house. Um, so the, the needs are endless. And so we're a team here and we have so much to talk about because it's now like we have 30 children that we're concerned mm -hmm. about and we can say, okay, what are we going to do about Mohammed's job? And what, you know, we can yes. just go through. And, you know, I, I said to my daughter um, and my son that, well, these people actually want our advice when we wanted to give you guys advice. You didn't want it, but these people are anxious for whatever we have to say. Yeah. So it's pretty rewarding that way as well. In April 2021, President Biden announced that the U.S. military forces would leave Afghanistan. Four months later, the Taliban entered the capital city, leading to the collapse of the Afghan government. The lives of people who worked closely with the U.S. militaries were immediately threatened by the Taliban. Mrs. Kokhnar's refugee friends share their horrific experience with the Taliban in desperate moments in the sudden exodus. Well, when the Taliban controlled Afghanistan in the 90s, the level of brutality was absolutely astounding. Now, of course, that has been surpassed by ISIS which make the Taliban look tame in comparison. But nonetheless, they, there were severe restrictions on uh, what females could do, whereas it looks like now they are allowing in some areas for females to go to school, whereas before, no, women had to just stay within the realm of the home. And there was all sorts of brutality, public beheadings, force where people were forced to go and watch. Um, whereas now they're being kind of out maneuvered on the right in by ISIS. Um, so now ISIS is a challenge to the Taliban in Afghanistan. But all of our refugees are people who actively worked with the American military over the past 20 years while we were there. And so that made them a target of the Taliban. And so their families were threatened. Um, I was with one man two days ago on Saturday. And yeah, he has shrapnel that he was concerned about to get out because it's causing him pain. My main guy, my, my Afghan brother, uh, he was at the airport in August when there was that horrible explosion. Many people died, including American servicemen. He just happened to be at a different part of the airport. And he said that at that time, the American soldiers were saying, come on, just get on the airplane. And he said, no, I can't go without my family. So he had to then stay and wait for his family to make its way to the airport. And then his main contact, because of course, a lot of these Afghans have really intimate relationships with the American soldiers. They worked with them for a long time. They are genuine friends with these people. And so one of his friends, was motioning for him to come get on the airplane with his family but then he was telling me that it made him so nervous because there was Taliban everywhere 
and there's this huge crowd of people and he's being singled out by the Americans that he was really concerned that he would be the target. Um, but happily, he was able to get on the plane with his family and made it here safely. But there's so many stories like that of just treacherous attempts to get out safely. We hear the horrible things coming out of Afghanistan. It's been a little bit overshadowed now because of what's happening in Ukraine, but before that, it was in the news a lot. Half the people in Afghanistan are at risk of starvation. It's horrible what's going on there, not to mention the Taliban and their treatment of women, blah, blah, blah. So they're, yeah, they are concerned. Um, like, I've seen the videos of like, the Afghan refugees trying to climb onto the plane mm -hmm. while trying to take off. Are any of the refugees here, have they experienced any of those dangerous scenarios? I have not heard those stories. Mm -hmm. Definitely, they have all been targeted. And so they all have stories of making sure they didn't take the same route home at night. They had um, stories of being told, you can't get in your car. We have intel that your car has been targeted for, to be bombed by the Taliban. They all have those kind of stories that make it really clear that they were not safe to stay in Afghanistan. Upon their safe arrival, after the precarious journey, the refugees' new life is on the horizon. That family that was that you helped, what was their original living situation like? Because you said it was a really big family. It's so interesting to me to learn more and more about Afghanistan and these families and their culture. I get the impression this family was middle class, middle upper class. I think they had a pretty nice house and their children are educated their daughters speak some of them english but many other families are not educated and so i'm also meeting quite a few families where the wife is illiterate so i think of those 300 refugees individuals make up around 55 families and my husband and I have been in contact with, I think, 12 wow. different families. So you said some of the like refugees who come here, they have, like, have a good status so far. But for the ones that are from like lower class, what are their conditions like when you first meet them? Well, all of their conditions are the same in the United States. Mm -hmm. So typically, when they were evacuated um, out of Kabul or Kandahar, they went to a U.S. base in, like, in Dubai, and then from there, they're brought to the United States, either outside, again, a military base outside of D.C., or this one family was in New Jersey, and then they're processed. And that's when, my understanding, they get things like their Social Security card, employment authorization, and then from there... Then they choose where they want to live in the United States. And then my understanding is anyone who says they want to live in Michigan, they go to this central processing place in Wisconsin. And then from there, they are sent off to the different states in the, in the Midwest. 
Is there anything special out here in Michigan? Or why do they want to come here specifically to Michigan? You know, I think it's the story of migration all over the world where there is a stream, like one person comes and then they know someone else and then they know someone else. Mm -hmm. I don't know the story for all of them, but for a lot of them, there was this one guy here who had been resettled like a year and a half ago because he was being threatened by the Taliban. And one of the American soldiers that he had worked with said to him, come to Southeast Michigan, I can help you find a job. And so he came here because he had that one American connection. And then his brother moved here and his sister moved here. And they all worked with other people at the base in Kandahar. So they moved here. So a lot of it is that they know someone. They followed them there. And then they're in a hotel for a while. Um, so some of them know English. Most of them don't. Some of them are illiterate. I'm getting the impression you have uh, the differences with the types of Islam. So some are Sunni, some are Shia, some speak Dari, some speak Pashto, some are higher status, some less so. So there's really quite a variety. But what is so interesting is they're all in the same boat. It doesn't matter what language or religion or or social status, they all became refugees. They were all at the same hotel. And they're kind of all in the same spot where when they're finding an apartment, they want to make sure it's an apartment that when they do find a job, they're going to be able to pay for it because the refugee agency isn't going to pay the rent for long. They need to get jobs. So they're all looking for pretty modest places. No one is living luxuriously, no matter what their status was back in Afghanistan. What kind of like places do they move into? Are they like apartments or houses? Or this? I guess mostly apartments because they're more affordable. But a few have been able to get into houses. So they tend to have larger families and... The concept of privacy is different, and so extended family living together is preferred. Typically, like in a lot of traditional cultures, when a woman gets married, she goes and lives with the husband's family. But my impression is that having mom and dad and sons with their wives and their children and unmarried daughters all together brothers living together with their wives and children. That's how they like it. Apparently, if you only have five children, you're considered a bit of an underachiever. Yeah. So for those bigger families, then if there's multiple men that will be working and contributing, then they can afford to get a house rather than an apartment. And my husband and I worked really hard to find them a house and worked with a realtor, which is challenging because most renters, they want to make sure that the people they're renting to are employed, that they have proof of three times the rent, monthly rent, that they have a credit score above a certain number, and they want all of this documentation that refugees can't 
supply. They're unemployed. They have no credit history. But of course, the resettlement agency does guarantee a certain number of months of support. With the goal, they also supply support for employment. And so obviously the goal is to help these families all become independent. And is it difficult to help them find jobs here? Like, do they have like a long-term plan? So some of them have skills, not all of them. The challenges, a lot of them don't speak English. The challenges, none of them have cars. And so, you know, it's that catch-22 where they can't get a car until they get a job, but they can't really get a job because they can't drive there. JFS has gotten, has some contacts with a couple of factories that are, will hire them, but for some of them that is not desirable, and so they have other ideas. My husband got a couple of them a job working at a restaurant, and I do say to them, this is the perfect time to be looking for work, right? We have record low unemployment. We have help wanted signs everywhere. If you're willing to show up every day and work hard, you're going to get a job. You can work at McDonald's and get $15 an hour. It is definitely a good time for them to be looking. Um, I was very pleased. I got one of my, from my main family, she was a teacher back in Afghanistan, so she is a teaching assistant with Ann Arbor Public School. So that made her and her family very happy. You know, they're also concerned because their employment authorization, and I, I'm assuming this is done because there was a mad rush, right? When we pulled out in August, it was not expected that the Taliban would so quickly take over. And so people were evacuated really quickly. I don't understand the whole legal aspect of it, but they were only given two-year employment visas, green cards. So now they're concerned, as they should be, about, okay, well, what happens in two years? How do we get this extended? We'll get to that. I just can't deal with it right now. But... Luckily, I have friends who are lawyers and whatnot, like eventually we'll figure that out and do what we can to help them do the process to extend their visa. Finding jobs, places to live, there are so many obstacles to deal with. And on top of all that, language barriers and culture differences make every step challenging. Usually there is someone around who can at least read their own language. And so then we can use Google Translate. My husband and I have become very proficient at using Google Translate. So we will get a text or a WhatsApp message from one of the families, but it's all in the Arabic script. Some of them speak Pashto, some of them speak Dari. There's no Dari on Google Translate, so we use Persian because Dari is a closely related to Persian, but then that even slows down the communication more. But then some of them, they'll send a text in Persian, so then you have to copy it into Google Translate to understand what they're saying, then copy our response, translate it, and then copy that. So it's a rather laborious way of communicating. But we do it. Like this one couple we took out for dinner and we just communicated using Google Translate. 
So then it makes, it's kind of amusing. Like lots of times my husband and I will just giggle over some of these translations. And this one time, this one sweet, sweet man, and he holds his phone up to me with the English translation and it had an F-bomb in it. Like, I know that's not what he meant to say. I just started laughing. So you never know what you're going to get with these translations. I was with this one woman and she's illiterate. A lot of pointing, a lot of gesturing. You know, she's able to tell me what she needs just by, you know, touching. Like she let me know she needs some hair barrettes. Her husband needs a razor. Yeah. Um, Well, this one gal that I was with yesterday, she cannot get her WhatsApp to work. And that's how they communicate back home. I don't know why it wouldn't work. And the poor thing just wants to call her brother. And she breaks into tears every time. So yesterday, I picked her up. And we went to two different phone stores to see if they can fix it to get her WhatsApp to work. But even when I just asked her, have you been able to call her brother? And she starts crying. And she doesn't speak any English. So I know her brother's name. Luckily... I studied Arabic so I could sound out because she would just show me his name on WhatsApp. And so I could sound out the letters in the alphabet. As soon as I mentioned his name, she started crying. That is a big transition, is making sure that they are able to communicate with the people back home because, of course, they're all worried about their loved ones back home. And has anything surprised you about working with these families? Like, is there anything you've learned from them? Well, everything. I knew nothing about Afghanistan besides, you know, the little bit I know because I'm a social studies teacher and I love history and I follow the news, but I had never hung out with Afghans before. So I am learning a lot. I guess one of the things that I think is really interesting is the way they eat, which no Afghan uses a table. They are on the floor. So we here in the United States love wood floors. They do not like wood floors. They want carpeting. So they want wall-to-wall carpeting, and they want these nice Persian-type carpets on the floor. And then when it's time for dinner, everyone sits on the floor, and they put a sheet, not a sheet, but a plastic tablecloth down. And so it's just a very different way of eating. And even though my husband and I, we exercise, we think of ourselves as being kind of in shape, Like, it takes a little bit on your hips to (laughs) sit for a long time like that. And then, of course, with us, they give us our own plate. But the Afghans themselves, the idea of your own plate seems to be kind of alien. So they're all just sharing and eating together. Um, It's really lovely. And when they have these big parties, it's 50 men around a room sitting on the floor just with this feast in front of them. It's a different way of eating that has been very interesting to me. I think there are some differences in how they view their responsibility. We in the United States are so much more individualistic. We know this. And in other more traditional cultures, it is all about the family. I think that the, the, Children take care of each other, like the older children feel a real responsibility for the younger children. It's interesting in my observation, there's a lot of status that comes with being the older child. So you can see the younger kids 
from what I see, accept their authority. They just do it and they accept whatever their older sibling says. The women in the families that are more educated back in Afghanistan, so my main family, they all want to work. But I think that is not the expectation for women from more uh, lower socioeconomic status. Mm -hmm. I don't get the impression they have any expectation to work outside the home. And because they have large families, I'm sure they're busy enough just taking care of the home and their children. And I think the men are so focused on getting a job and taking care of their families. The children are so beautiful and bright and adorable. They're going to be great. They are going to be an asset to this country. It's the women that I worry about, particularly the ones who are less educated, because I feel like they're so isolated. I mean, can you imagine? They did not have a lot of them for quite a while. They have no internet, so they have no television. Because the television that the Afghans want, they couldn't care less about cable. They want YouTube. Because, did you know, on YouTube, there's all this Pashto programming. Like yeah, So yeah. once you have YouTube, you have a window to home. But if you're illiterate, you can't read, you can't watch TV, you have no car, you know, like, I, it just breaks my heart how how isolated that they can be. Like, are there, like, plans to educate some of these uneducated people? That's a good question, because I do have a dream of, you know, as someone who loves learning and loves reading, I cannot imagine how sad it would be to not be able to read. So I do have a dream of somehow helping these women who are illiterate in their own language becoming literate in English. And I don't know how to make that happen. Um, And honestly, this is a full-time job. Like, there's so much more I could be doing for all of these families, and there's simply not enough hours in the day. So I haven't had time to really focus on that. I think if we can just get all of them into homes, all of them working, then we will start worrying about things like that. Um, so do the children just take, like, um, go to public school here? Yes. Most of them are going to AAPS. I think it is truly the best for these children. Not only would they get a stellar education, as we know students get here at AAPS, but also we want these little children to become Americans and to make friends with their neighborhood at, you know, at their neighborhood school. So I really think going to their neighborhood school is the best, best thing for them. And the few students that I have helped enroll at middle school and high school here at AAPS, they are blissville. They are so happy with their experience at Ann Arbor schools. The refugees are settling gradually into their new homes, but the work seems to be endless. Ms. Kochner has worked tirelessly, but it won't be enough without support from the community. And do you and the program, like, do you guys still help them even after they find stable homes? I cannot speak for JFS. 
And for me, we're kind of new at this, right? This happened just because we got a day off school in November. That is why it happened. And then it just kept blossoming. So yes, I envision that I will be a champion for these Afghans for the rest of my life, right? As long as I'm here. It has kind of become a calling because it feels, we all know it feels good to help other people. And it's something I think I'm good at, which is just putting myself out there to the community and saying, hey, I need this, this, and this for some Afghan families. I'm not a private person, so I don't have a problem just giving my address to people to drop things off. Because I'm a teacher, I have access to a pretty large community. I feel like I'm in a unique place, plus the fact that my father was Turkish. He was Muslim, so I think that gives me a little bit of an in with them. We use some of the same words, you know, chai for tea, Pashto, and in Turkish. So I have a level of comfort with the Middle East that maybe a typical American wouldn't have. And I'm outgoing in a way that maybe, you know, the typical American isn't. This has been rewarding, and I feel blessed to have met all these people. And I feel blessed that I'm in a position to maybe make their lives a little easier and show them compassion. They're very thankful. I'm impressed with how upbeat they all are. They really are very um, optimistic, flexible. It's impressive because I would think if I had been through what they had been through and having to leave everything leave their families, leave every possession they have. Think about, you know, you save your money to buy that pretty piece of furniture or that nice piece of jewelry or whatever, and you had to leave it all behind and start from zero. And yet they are happy and joyous. And this couple of the families that we got into houses, and when I say we, me, JFS, other people got into houses They have been very compassionate for the ones that are still stuck in the hotel. So several times they have organized a caravan and they go and they bring all the Afghans from the hotel and they bring them to their houses and all the men will be at one house, all the women and children at another house. And they have these elaborate feasts that go until five in the morning. Mm-hmm. Like that's how they party mm-hmm. until five in the morning. They they take a lot of joy out of life, even though it is a struggle. And do the refugees fit like easily into Muslim con- Muslim communities here in Ann Arbor? They have definitely received help from um, the Muslim community. Yes, mm-hmm. but also the average non-Muslim American who lives next door. I mean, people are mostly good Mm -hmm. and compassionate. And so when you see a family and you realize that they're brand new and they don't know how to find the grocery store or how to find what they need to mow their lawn or whatever it is, people, they help. They bring food. They offer coats. 
Um, I've had people from the community offering, buying new things, not just, you know, giving me the hand-me-downs, but going out and buying new coats and new toys and new uh, supplies for their houses because all of these Afghan homes want certain things. So, like, there's been no backlash since them coming here? There, I mean, that's a good question. There have been a couple, I'm not going to say negative but somewhat challenging questions or comments on a couple of my postings. So for example, when I ask for something for Afghan families, something like we should be taking care of our vets first or something like that, which I'll agree. Yes, we need to be taking care of our vets. We need, of course we do. And I have worked and raised money for veteran groups. I have worked and raised money for uh, the needy American in our own communities. But my attitude is they're not mutually exclusive. We can, we should do it all. And humans are humans. Let's just help each other. So there's been a few comments like that. I was very distraught, not distraught, but disappointed when I looked at the comments for an article about housing some of the Afghan refugees at EMU's campus in their mm-hmm. family housing. And some of the comments were really hateful. I don't get that. I don't get that. How people are filled with hate rather than compassion. But mostly the response from the community, whether it's the Buy No Things Ann Arbor or the next door or my school community has been overwhelmingly generous and compassionate. And we first heard about you through like a newsletter about you and your program, like requesting donations. Mm -hmm. So what's still needed and like what's needed most? Those household items, more families, they all need them. They all want them. So I don't think I can receive too many of those multi-tier Manta dumpling steamers or the stovetop. They all want pressure cookers, not electric, but the old style stovetop electric cookers. They want um, crafts, thermoses for tea. They all want electric kettles. The men want razors. All, it seemed, I'm not going to say all, but many of these Afghan women want sewing machines. So anybody out there that has a nice sewing machine, I will take it to give to an Afghan woman. So yesterday, I took these two women who happened to live in the same apartment complex, and I took them to Joanne Fabrics, and I set them up with just the basics. I'd already, thanks to the generosity of the community, they both um, have sewing machines, but they needed like scissors and thread and a thimble and needles and that kind of thing. And a lot of the women are pregnant because they like large families. This one I just met today, she needs maternity clothes. So I would say baby supplies, they're all gonna need clothing for babies. They're all gonna need strollers, car seats, and I get the impression there's not a lot of rules with driving in Afghanistan. I don't think they're accustomed to car seats, seatbelts. Yeah. So this is new to them. Yesterday, they tried to put their child in my front seat, like this little kid. No, it's not going to happen. 
Um, yes, that's what we need. I think things for babies, car seats, strollers would be excellent. But also donating to JFS because they're the ones that set these people up with, they get the initial apartment, they set them up with a bed and plates and the basic furniture. So donating good furniture, plates, new towels, televisions, vacuums. So that would be a good way is going to the JFS site and seeing all the different ways, volunteering, donating kitchen items, donating furniture. They need all of that. Is there any advice they can give to people in general? I guess relative to my work with the Afghans is how rewarding it is. And of course, all of us should be doing something in our lives to make the world a better place, to help others. And this is something I feel like modern society, I know I sound like an old lady being like kids these days. And as my son would say to me, mom, kids have not changed, parenting has changed. But I do feel like with all the social media, we're all analyzing our own navels. We are so caught up in ourselves. And I really don't care what you ate for lunch. Like, it's not that important. And so this is, I guess that is my advice, is don't overthink your own life. Think about other people's lives and what you can do to help others. Thank you so Thank much you. for doing this okay. interview. <laughs> yeah. Some of you young folks been saying to me, Hey Pops, what do you mean, what a wonderful world? How about all them wars all over the place? You call them wonderful? And all I'm saying is see what a wonderful world it would be if only we'd give it a chance. Love, baby, love. That's the secret. Yeah. That's why old Pops keeps saying. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them blue. For me and you, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue and clouds of white, the bright blessed day, the dark sacred night. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow, so pretty in the sky, are also on the faces of people going by. I see friends shaking hands. Saying, how do you do? There 
Oh 